Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, welcome to In-Depth. I'm sports editor Nick Talbot. I'm joined today by Greg Luca. We're going to talk a lot about the minor league sports all across San Antonio today. we got a lot of admissions news. we got a lot of XFL news to hit on. And we have SAFC having their best season of all time. Greg, let's start with the missions. What's going on with their ballpark situation right now? Yeah, it's a very interesting scenario to have all three minor league teams that we don't usually talk about all be in the spotlight at the same time. But the report this week is that the missions are potentially being sold for $28 million to a group that would end up building a downtown stadium, which is something that as long as I've been here since you know 2018, it's been in the talks and it's been talked about long before that. You know, Wolf Stadium is one of the older venues in the league, and especially it became under the microscope when they tried to move to AAA. And what happened around 2020 was that MLB kind of reorganized how they want minor leagues to be structured. So a lot of the smaller teams got wiped out and it got much more restructured into, I think, you know, each professional organization has four minor league clubs and it's very much regimented. And they, along with that, started to raise a lot of the standards. So for for Wolf Stadium in particular, it started to come under the microscope of, do they have enough seating? But then more specifically in the immediate, it was maybe expanding the clubhouses. They need a a female dressing room. And there was a couple other kind of odds and ends that they needed to start to fix up. So it becomes a question of, does it make sense to make these improvements at Wolf Stadium? And what is that going to cost? Or is it finally time to have this be the nudge that gives you the ball, the uh, downtown ballpark that you probably wanted and needed anyway. So I'm sure there were a lot of different options kicked around during during the past few years and even longer than that. And it seems like if this is actually a path forward, that that's something that's pretty promising for, you know, all the people who support the missions. Because it's always been about, could this be a AAA club? You know, they tried that one or two years and it didn't bump the attendance very much. And then they went back down to AA because it's easier to meet the standards the lower you are on the totem pole. And then there's going to be people who want to say, could this, you know, be a pathway to having an MLB team here? Which that seems like a long shot, but that's just the kind of thing that, you know, people are interested in. And certainly any kind of step in the positive direction is something that, that people will get excited about. Yeah, people always want the the second major league franchise here, whether it's baseball or the NFL. Probably not likely to happen. So this seems like it's a good deal, maybe even to get their feet back into the, the AAA game. Um, but the stadium has been dis- in disarray for a while. Maybe the disarray might be a strong word, but it's it's not obviously one of the stronger ballparks in in the minor league system. What- yeah, it's, I mean, it's just to jump in. It's always been sort of under the microscope, and I think when they had AAA, those guys in particular, those players are shuffling up and down from MLB rosters, so they're seeing kind of the best that you have to offer in terms of you know stadium amenities and things like that, and. It was pretty jarring in a lot of ways, just that the clubhouse wasn't up to that level. And so there was even heading into that season, a lot of things that they were doing with the batting cages and part of it with the new, you know, the new guidelines as well as like a nutritional component and just things that are being offered the experience for minor league baseball as well. So it all comes into having to provide a higher quality of life for those players. And so if you have a new ballpark that does that, and then for the public, I think it's important because a lot of people don't, 
it's not very convenient to get out to Wolf Stadium. I no, think, I've, I've made the drive several times, and it's 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 not fun to get out there, and especially if, you, if you've got traffic. If you have it in a more centralized downtown area, maybe you just get some tourist traffic or some foot traffic or whatever it may be, or it's just easier for the general San Antonian to be able to, to come out to a game. So I think that there's a lot of reasons that that move seems promising. And so if they can get it through, it's probably a win-win for everybody. And now they're looking at a few uh, locations where, where are some of the locations they, they've kind of named? Some are, some are realistic, some didn't seem so realistic. Yeah, the big one that I think was thrown out in the story was the San Pedro Creek Culture Park, kind of that area. I know there's been some you know, property you know, discussions, purchases, things changing hands in that area related to, uh, to Graham Weston and, and the group that he's involved in of investors. So we'll see if they settle there, if it ends up being somewhere else. But uh, there's still a lot that has to be kind of finalized in that sense. A lot of what we're talking about right now is just based on reporting that, that our writers here have done and less things that have been officially announced and formalized. So I think a lot of it remains up in the air. Yeah, and the, uh, the, the second thing we're, we're going to is another, getting another franchise on top of everything. We've got the XFL team coming here, the San Antonio Brahmas. Am I saying that right? Is it, is it Brahmas or is it Brahmas? It's the Brahmas, yeah. Is it the this, Brahmas? This I, required... I heard some people saying Bra- Brahmas yesterday. Well, you need to in. talk to them. That's incorrect. But you, I, there's... It's an interesting name choice. I don't know if it's what I would have gone with. It's kind of different, but there's a lot of different reasons probably that they went that route. You know, they in their little announcement video, they mentioned the vast plains of San Antonio. So I don't know what they really think that it's like here, but um, you we know, have maybe, vast plains. There's lots of wind, like if you, just like West Texas, lots of windmills. You right? Know, maybe I'll, they're a little. They're thinking on the outskirts a little bit more than than in the city, but. You know, they they think it kind of symbolizes Texas and there's a lot of, you know, The Rock had like his whole Brahma Bull gimmick and he's the XFL owner, co-owner guy. So, you know, it makes sense that they might try to tie that in. And a lot of the names in the league are recycled. It's it's either the same t- locations and team names from the 2020 version of the league or it's, you know, like the Tampa Bay Vipers became the Las Vegas Vipers and there was one other case like that, the Dallas Renegades or the Arlington Renegades. Like, So there's a lot of things that didn't change very much, but the San Antonio name being a new market and an entirely new name that they put on it, this was the one I guess they decided to get adventurous on. And it's interesting that, you know, the coach is Heinz Ward and they went with the black and yellow color scheme. So that's going to be something that, you know, I'm sure that he'll like that <laughs> and it'll... Uh, Maybe it'll get the people excited. It'll all be part of that culture because I don't know to what extent they're going to be able to establish this sort of thing. But, you know, he he's mentioned that he sees San Antonio as kind of like a blue collar sports loving city similar to Pittsburgh in some ways from his experience. So I don't know how apt that comparison is, but that's sort of the, the vibe that they're going for with this team. And, you know, it'll be really interesting to see with this league in general, how they connect with their local communities, because the teams are going to be based in Arlington most of the year, and then they're going to all travel for their games in their local markets. So what kind of connection will the San Antonio Brahmas have with the community here is going to be interesting. But, you know, at least MacArthur goes by the Brahmas, so people are a little bit used to it. <laughs> I didn't see a whole lot of backlash. I kind of thought there would be more people who were who were, who were were against it. But I think people are just willing to get on the hype train and be ready for a new team to come through and support them the same way they did the Commanders and the Alliance, which was, I mean, it was incredible to see the turnout that those guys got in their short time here. Yeah, all those Stone Cold Steve Austin fans might not like the name Brahmas <laughs> out there. But, yeah, you know, we saw, we've seen a, these franchises pop up before uh obviously we just had the usfl um they're still playing there obviously they weren't here they kind of did a similar scenario though where they were playing all their games out of birmingham the difference is these teams were actually playing in their cities practicing in 
Arlington, is that correct? Yeah, so they're all, yeah. You know where the USFL, they played all of the games in Birmingham, like you said, at least in the XFL, they're going to be playing in their local markets. And I haven't kept up with the USFL. I think that was sort of a short-term plan. I don't know if they're getting back to their markets or if it's a different deal. But I believe that the XFL is going to be able to recruit a higher caliber of player and be kind of a higher level deal than the USFL was. I don't think that 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 gained the same traction or got the same level of interest and infrastructure behind it as the XFL. But you know, and the XFL, they have their draft planned in the next couple of weeks. I was told mid-November is kind of the timeline that they're kicking around. And they aim to kick off in mid-February. So, I mean, they really got to get rolling on some of this stuff. So, I mean, I don't – I'm gonna, at this point, I think it's fair for anybody to have doubts about the, the long-term stability of any kind of spring football league. I just think we've seen too many of them come and go. And, you know, the alliance, it felt like – I always remember uh, Daryl Johnson was the... The Alliance of American Football now, yeah. right? With the San Antonio Commanders. Yeah. D- Daryl Johnson was the GM of that team. And he said, you know, if this league doesn't work, then none of these are ever going to work because we have this infrastructure and we have all these people who are, you know, football veterans and have been in front offices and understand how it works. And maybe it just came down to the money that they didn't have. And, you know, certainly The Rock has enough liquidity to probably support a football league for a while. But generally speaking, I don't know that you know, from the organization being profitable by itself, that there's much of a proof of concept for that. But I guess we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, with the alliance, you know, that that kind of ended after it got sold like mid-season. This other investor came in, saw the books, and then pretty much just shut it down, Yeah, right? they were just so desperate because they had their initial investor who ended up in some legal entanglements and wasn't able to get a hold of the amount of money that he thought he was going to have to support the league. And so then they had made all these long-term plans of we don't really have to start turning a profit until year three because we have this runway that we've been given based on the amount of money available. And then instantly that just wasn't there. So they were desperate when they went to Tom Dundon from who's the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes to to sort of bail out the league in that sense. But then that gave him a lot of control and ended up finding, hey, this thing's not working. And then it was over just like that. But, you know, who knows if it would have survived the pandemic anyway. Like we saw that was the end of the XFL's initial iteration too. So they they were going to run into challenges one way or the other down the line. And so, you know, we'll see. It seemed like the XFL in 2020 was doing all right before all that hit. So maybe they have a model that works. But like I said, I'm just going to have my doubts until I'm proven wrong. They do have a quarterback that's starting in the the NFL right now. Yeah, right. Walker for uh, the Carolina Panthers. Some of these guys will end up using this as a springboard, and some of them will be guys that fans will recognize or have heard of. You know, I keep thinking about, Heinz Ward talks about wanting to have a San Antonio connection, whether it's guys who played at UTSA or maybe at UIW or who are from the city. And I keep thinking about Sincere McCormick from UTSA, who's out there somewhere, you know, came out a year early and went undrafted, and he was with the Raiders, and he got injured. And I don't know what the status is of his recovery or his tenure with the Raiders, but what a perfect guy that would be to to be able to put on an XFL roster and have him back in the Alamo Dome. So these are the things that they have to think about and who they can land that's going to bring them some name recognition and get people excited. But, you know, just some the the amount of clicks that we got on the XFL team announcement story and some of the traction it got on social media, there's people who are interested in this. And I think they're willing to, to give it another shot and throw their weight behind another team. Yeah. And people in San Antonio and you know, of course, Texas love football. The You know, when the Alliance was here, the attendance for San Antonio was much better than the rest of the league. How does the XFL try to emulate that, and can they get that kind of market again? Because it was almost double for what everyone else was doing. Yes, it was actually fully double the average of the rest of the league, and they were probably about to have their biggest attendance you know, of the year because Johnny Manziel's team was coming in, and there was a lot of excitement around that, even though he probably wasn't even going to play in the game. But that's sort of beside the point. I think they... It was a lot of it was just the marketing effort and the way they got out in the community and some of the things that they probably paid for in terms of advertising. And it's 
it's an interesting conversation to get into because there's a lot of those same questions swirling around UTSA right now and what they're doing to get fans in the Alamo Dome or what they're not doing to get fans out in the Alamo Dome in ways that that could be better. So it's always a, a question of how directly you're engaging the market and how much money you're willing to put into advertising and getting on people's radar and then your ticket prices and you know the experience you offer, parking and concessions and all that. So everything factors in and these are really complicated conversations. But I think the most important part is that people in San Antonio are willing to give it a shot if you give them something that they can get behind. All right. Going from a couple could be's where we have the XFLs, it could be downtown ballparks, it could be. We have the San Antonio FC, which is in the playoffs, second round, having Man, their best season of all time. I thought you were going to go for like a football, football thing. I was so ready for, for football, I, I was ready for football, that transition. Football, this worked, but I was ready for the football, football transition. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> yes, San Antonio FC is playing in the Western Conference Finals this week. They're going to be up against uh, Colorado Springs Switchbacks FC, who they've beaten twice this year already by one nothing scores, and they're going to be a pretty big favorite. And, you know, San Antonio FC has had an incredible season. They tied the re- league records for wins with 24, road wins with 13, and shut outs with 17 and they did it despite shuffling through a ton of different lineup combinations and having a lot of guys injured through the year it's been incredible to see the the level of commitment that they've had to bring in new guys and keeping this team performing at a high level and I think this is really a fascinating team to watch and if I was more of a soccer expert I'd probably be more nerdy about it but even from my standpoint it's really cool the way that they play like they rank last in the league in possession and just passes completed because they play this up-tempo pressing style where they are just trying to get in the face of the the opposing defenders and not let them make any easy passes out of the back. And if they get the ball in their own end, they send the ball upfield pretty quickly and then try to chase it down. And it's interesting because it's not necessarily a style that could work at the higher levels of soccer. Like I think if you tried this in the English Premier League, the defenders at the back end are so comfortable with the ball at their feet that they're able to just play around that sort of pressure and it doesn't have any impact. But when you get down to second tier North American soccer. They found the style of play that's like, I mean, other teams hate to play against them. It's just not fun to have to deal with that that pressure for 90 minutes plus. And so it's it's interesting to see how successful that that's been. And it comes down to then finding players who fit that mentality because you need to have guys who are willing to apply that pressure from start to finish and have the fitness level to hold up with that kind of environment. And, you know, Coach Alan Marcina is now in his third year and has been trying to build that through the time that he's been here, he's had the very clear vision that he's laid out for, they talked this year a lot about being mentality monsters, you know, whatever goes wrong, resiliency, a lot of the typical sports stuff, but they lay it out in a way that's very direct and well communicated and that gets people to buy into it. Like they have little uh, placards in everybody's locker room. With like these are the values on the field. These are the values off the field. And this is like our identity. And if you're coming into the organization, you have to buy into that and believe in it and be a part of it. And they found enough guys who will do it. So that's put them in a position where they've just sort of mastered this way of playing. And it's put them in a position where they're probably the favorite to win the league. It's tough because the two teams that are left in the Eastern Conference, I think whoever wins that game would probably be a slight favorite against San Antonio if they were to match up. But it'll be San Antonio's home field advantage in the final will make a lot of a difference there too, just because they had the most points in the league through the regular season. All right, thanks for joining us today, and thanks again for Greg Luca joining us and uh, talking all the ways about the minor league sports here in San Antonio. Um, Nick Talbot, and see you next time.